For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. And here in Detroit, where so many of the tools of victory were turned out, it's in the air. All Detroit wants another kind of victory. They're out to see the Detroit Tigers, their favorite ball team. Let's go inside. And well, welcome back to the Tigers Minor League Report podcast here. I am uh, your host, Chris Brown. Alongside me is Rahelio Castillo and Jake Bowes. And we're pleased to bring in our special guest, Greg Ania of the Erie Seawolves. He is their play-by-play announcer and their assistant GM. And did I screw up your name again? Oh, I yes, asked- you did. That's quite all right, because everybody yeah, else yeah. does. I asked you a minute ago. Ganya actually pitched for the uh, the Dodgers. That that mm-hmm. was everybody who was calling me Ganya. It's Ga- Ganya? Ganya. Daniel, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I, I just asked you a minute ago, and then it went out of my head. I'm one of the worst people in the world with names. I'm not names. great myself. The worst part is, like, when you see people around the ballpark and you've met them, like, 25 <laughs> times, and you're like, I know this person, I know this person, I know this person, and uh, you just blank on the name. Oh, God. I was uh, at a parade a couple years ago, and I saw a guy behind me, and he looked at me, and he was, like, smiling and waving, and I, I was like, huh, and I looked away. It was my neighbor. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, Greg, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Get a long weekend, long game today. Uh, before we get started, we, we always like to ask our guests uh, about their earliest baseball memory. So if you have anything you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. Okay. Um, I, I was thinking about that earlier tonight. And um, I, my first ever professional baseball game would have had to have been it was the Indians. And I can't remember who they were playing. Um, but it was near the end of the time of Municipal Stadium. And we were in like the second tier. And all I can remember, and I, I had to be, gosh, maybe 10, 9, 10 years old. And I could remember people throwing full rolls of toilet paper from the upper deck into the lower deck. And it was just <laughs> pandemonium. It was like an afternoon game on a Sunday. And people were just hammered out of their minds and throwing toilet paper at a, at a professional baseball game. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was probably my earliest baseball memory. Um, nothing really stands out about the game. I remember... I, I was like, who's this Jim Thome guy? Because uh, he was just coming out. <laughs> and we're on like, the front of Indians game day. And yeah, now it turns out he's a Hall of Famer. So I saw him when he was very young coming up with uh, with the Indians. So I think that was probably my first uh, my first memory of, of going to a professional baseball game. Yeah, Jim, Jim Thome, the quality defensive third baseman. Not sure if he's going to hit, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh. He turned out all right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. There used to be, it seemed like there was a higher tolerance for, for drunken tomfoolery in stadiums 10, 20, oh, years, 30 years ago. I remember going and seeing the same sort of, after every first made basket at an Eastern Michigan basketball game, all the fans would throw rolls of toilet paper and the refs knew it was coming and they'd stop the game and people would pick it up. Or, and at Michigan, they would throw marshmallows at the referees and stuff. <laughs> Just none of that anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, the good old days, right? Yeah. Assault. Yes, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. 
Well, Greg, again, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, getting into kind of what your role is and what you do. Um, assistant GM, communications, and play-by-play. So you're kind of a versatile guy for Erie. Is that correct? Yeah, throw in baseball ops and team travel on top of that. So, oh, yeah, geez, we, oh, Pete. Uh, yeah, we wear many hats. So tomorrow's an off day for me, and mm-hmm. I am just so happy. Like, we have these regularly scheduled Monday off days this year, and they've been great because we would have stretches in the past where we would play, you know, 25 games in 27 days, and it was just brutal. So that's one of the nice things about the whole minor league realignment is now we have more off days during the season. Um, I, I haven't gotten out to play golf much this year. I, I'm, I'm, that's, you know. <laughs> What I really love to do in my uh, my spare time, um, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been nice having those. But yeah, we wear a lot of hats. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have a big front office staff. I think we're up to you know maybe eleven or twelve people on our front office staff. So uh, it, it gets tough at times because we wear so many different hats, um, and, and you name it, we do it. And you know, you throw in the whole COVID animal from the past year and a half. Uh, we basically opened up a, a brand new facility with all the improvements at UPMC Park. Uh, so it's been it's been a challenging three, four months. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I love when I get on the road because I can actually take a deep breath and I don't have to be at work all day because there are days when we're at home, we get there eight, nine in the morning and you're not leaving until, you know, fireworks are done at night. Um, so all it right. makes for some long days. So I, I really enjoy the road. Um, home, mm-hmm. home gets to be, you know, we had a two week home. We had two two week homestands uh, and those were tough. You know, uh, being home for a week is hard enough. Throw another week on top of it, and it gets to be a a big time challenge. A a lack of sleep and a lack of personal sanity. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I wouldn't have thought of that. I thought it would have been the reverse, but you're right. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot more sense. And that's always going back to your point about summer. It's like for me every year. It's like I'm going to golf more and I'm going to fish more, and they never happen. (laughs) But I always tell myself like going in. You know, that was the one blessing for me with COVID. I wasn't working uh, all last summer. And so I got to play golf. My parents live about an hour and a half away in Ohio. And um, so Mm -hmm. I was meeting up with my dad and golfing all summer. It was great. And somehow my game got progressively worse as the summer went on. I don't know how that happens because I started (laughs) out, you know, hitting the ball great, driving right down the middle. And by the end of the summer, I just couldn't even hit my driver. So that's Well, that's kind of neat. Yeah, I was and I was getting into, you know, your versatility and everything that you do with play by play being added on to that. Is that something that you were kind of yearning for and you sought out and you happened to get the job or was it something more so that, you know, you fell into? We always hear the stories of Dan Dickerson kind of calling games on a tape recorder as he's at the games kind of prepping for a job. Is this something that you were trying to do? We hear some amazing calls through the through the Seagulls ball, uh, broadcast and just curious on kind of what your uh, approach was to uh, falling in or, you know, achieving yeah, that no, I, uh, position. I appreciate the, the kind words on the calls. Um, you know, I, it's, it's one of those where, gosh, Torkels is coming to the plate. I can't screw this up because if I do, it's going viral and I'm going to never hear. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but no, I was the uh, of all my friends. I, I, I was the annoying one that would sit there. We'd be playing tech mobile and I'd be sitting there trying to call the plays or, or you know, what was the old MVP <laughs> baseball? on uh, on ps1 and 2 and I'd, I'd be sitting there calling the games so when i got to high school um had a, a ninth grade english teacher and she goes you know you have a good voice and i said yeah whatever and she goes well i want you to come in and work with us you know she also ran the high school television station um so we would produce every day there would be a daily you know 10 15 minute show that would air during the homeroom period um, so she said, I want you to do this. And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I got on and got on camera and I loved it. 
And so I said, you know, this might be something that turns into a career. So I, I did that throughout high school. I just did the sports report every day, two to three minutes, um, would, would cut highlights and just talk about all the high school sports that were going on uh, with our club or with our, with our school. And so I went to college, I went to Bowling Green um, and went to pursue broadcast journalism there. Um, I actually got my baseball start when I was 16 years old. I was uh, in the Mahoning Valley Scrappers moved into my hometown back in 1999 and I had turned 16 and I needed a job. So I got a job in the concession stand uh, and I just worked my way up. And when it came time for me to ask for an internship, I went to the GM and said, hey, I, I really like to you know, stick around. My parents are kind of pushing me to get an internship. He goes, well, what are you going to school for? I said, well, I'm going for broadcasting, but I'd be happy to do, you know, marketing, whatever. I mean, we didn't have social media back in the day, but, you know, marketing, PR, whatever, whatever you have for me, I'm going to be a team player. I want to be a part of this. Sure. And he kind of gives me this weird answer. I was like, well, I don't know what my broadcast situation is going to be next year, but, uh, but I might have something. I said, okay, sure. I I didn't think anything of it. So I'm sitting in my, in my dorm room and probably the most dilapidated uh, dorm. And I think it's still standing at Bowling Green, Cole Hall. Um, and so I'm sitting there, it was a, a February day and I get a phone call and I recognize the number on the, uh, on the caller ID and it was the scrappers number. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. What's, what's going on here. So I pick up and it's Andy Milovich who, uh, who's run multiple minor league teams. He has since gotten out of minor league baseball. He was in Myrtle beach and Frisco and, and he ran a whole bunch of teams. And he goes, how would you like to be my broadcaster next year? And I'm like, okay. I said, do you want me to send you a tape? Do you, what, what, what do you need me to do? And he goes, no, you're hired. I, I like you. I know you're going to school for broadcasting. It's New York Penn league. So I'm not expecting a major league broadcast. Come on in. And there we go. So I got the job in Mahoney Valley. I was still in school. So I did that for three years while I was in college. At the time, Mahoning Valley and Erie were mutually owned um, by Palisades Baseball, uh, owned like three or four teams. Um, the initial agreement when I had gotten hired in Mahoning Valley to do play-by-play was, hey, you know, stick around for a few years. When you graduate, we'll see what comes up. Um, so that GM leaves, assistant GM takes over, going to his office at the end of the year, hey, looking for a job. What do you got? I want to be here. It's my hometown. I'd love to keep calling games. Was making good connections with the Indians at the time. He goes, yeah, we'd love you to come back, but only seasonal and only for 500 bucks a month. And I said, okay, I guess this is not going to be the path. Mm-hmm. So it was at that guy's wedding that one of the guys from the Erie front office was at at the time. And so I'm talking to him at the wedding and our accountant had told him, prior to our conversation, like, Hey, they didn't really take care of Greg. You know, you guys have anything in Erie. And so he pulls me aside towards the end of the night. And I was probably three sheets to the wind at this point at the wedding. (laughs) And he goes, Hey, I want you to send me your stuff. And then you kind of got a little bit of a raw deal here. I'm not going to ask too many questions about what happened, but, but send me your stuff. I I don't think we're going to bring our broadcaster back. So it was actually Justin Kutcher. Who's with Fox sports. Um, Mm. He had the Erie job in 2005. Um, I, I, I don't know the whole story. It sounded like there was a mutual parting of the ways. Um, so I came and I interviewed and it was between me and somebody in the Pittsburgh market that was looking to jump into doing play by play, but he was kind of dipping his toes in. Wasn't a, a, a full career move for him. Um, and so they hired me and again, a seasonal position that proved my worth uh, and got hired on full time the following year and then worked my way up. Uh, we had a GM change, and then the new GM came in. I survived the purge. 
got uh, named assistant GM in, I want to say 2012 or 13, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, and then that's, that's kind of all she wrote ever since. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a classic case of, of seeing opportunities and seizing opportunities is how I got here. Very cool. I like the, I like the idea of uh, like a Brockmeyer wedding sort of drunken announcer. He's like, Oh, all right. No, that's awesome. So I'm trying to think just a couple, like I was making these connections in my head. You were probably at Bowling Green around the same time as Omar Jacobs, the quarterback. Do you? Uh, yes, I yes. was there. So uh, Omar Jacobs, uh, Josh Harris was my freshman year. Um, and that was Urban Meyer's first year. Uh, yeah. so I would have been there. Wow. Urban's year was oh zero. That would have been 05, Urban Meyer's first year. Took a horrific Bowling Green program and turned him around. And first game of the season, beat Missouri. Um, wow. And then Urban leaves after two years. Uh, and goes to Utah. Utah. Um, Greg Brandon took over, and they became a nationally ranked program. Um, and so it was cool because I was on. So at the time, and I, I don't know if it's still the case, um, but at the time, the student station we were broadcasting more games than any other college student station in the country, uh, more than Syracuse, more than any of the big broadcasting schools that you think of. Um, and so I, I got to do a ton of games, and it was baseball, football, basketball. Uh, I didn't do hockey because I, I would be just awful at it. I don't know enough about it. And uh, so I, I had opportunities to do hockey, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. Um, so, yeah, it was great. We, uh, we had a, a really good football program when I was there, and so it made it for exciting. We actually had college game day there my uh, junior year. Uh, wow. We were playing Northern Illinois. Uh, Bowling Green, I want to say, was 18 in the country, and Northern was 13. Oh, and wow. I believe that was the year that Bowling Green went to – the bowl in Detroit would have been the GMAC. No, yeah, uh, what was it? Was it GMAC bowl or the Motor City? Was it the? Wait, it was, what? I think I think no, it was originally GMAC bowl, and then it oh, became yeah. there was a Motor City, and then it was Little Caesars. It's had like forty yeah, years. Yeah, it's got like eighty games on yeah. it. So yeah, so they that that was my junior. We went up and uh, beat Northwestern, and then wow. the following year, whatever year Ohio State won the national title, they almost beat Ohio State at Ohio Stadium. Um, the following year, I believe that would have been Urban's second year, and that was really what put, or put Urban on the map. Um, and then he got the obviously got the Utah job, 2006. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's it's just funny transporting back to thinking what I was doing around the time. I just remember naming a fantasy team after Omar Jacobs because he was putting up, like <laughs> ungodly numbers. Yeah. He was an absolute stud, and I believe he left early against the advice of everybody. Um, cause he had like 50, 50 touchdowns that one year and then went on and I believe he went to Baltimore or Pittsburgh and then just never made it anywhere. I mean, yeah. he was a heck of an athlete. Um, but you know, that style of football plays in the Mac. It, it doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL. Yeah. Been to a couple Bowling Green Toledo games too. Their glass bowl is always chaos when those two teams play. Uh, oh gosh, I was at the glass bowl. We called it. It was always after Thanksgiving we would play Toledo, and I mean they were great games. But I can remember broadcasting on the roof of the glass bowl, freezing our tails off, bundled up. It was the Friday after Thanksgiving, Friday or Saturday Thanksgiving night game in Toledo, and it was just brutal. And we got smoked. And but they were always fun games. Yeah, that's always such a tense rivalry right there down the right. Yeah, Bye. yeah, the Battle of I seventy five. It was great. We loved it. The uh, you know, you're talking about the, the roster this year for Erie has been, you, you talk about some of the caliber of talent. You've been mentioned on the broadcast, too, the, the top prospects here. You have Dingler. We, we've seen Spencer Torkelson and both of West Michigan now in Erie. But I, I think that it was worth mentioning, too. You have Andre Lisby. 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 
Lipsius. Lipsius. And, yeah, thank you. I know I always cry. You Lipsius. can get Lipsius right, but you can't get Gania? Come on. No, that's my fault. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but then you have, you know, the Lice Carrier Carpenter. But, you know, one of the things that I've noticed too about Erie is it's like even the plug and play of the pitchers, like Trevor uh, Fernander, who pitched three innings today and he's been doing well. What are your impressions so far? Is this one of the best rosters you've seen put together? Um, position player wise, it's the best in my time in Erie. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, talent wise. Yeah. I mean, we had a, we had a really good team in 2007. Uh, I think 20 some guys went on to play in the big leagues from that team. Uh, that was like the Cleet Thomas years. Um, yeah, it was yeah. Cleet Thomas, Matt Joyce. Um, so that was probably the best offense. We had a really good offense in 2009 with, uh, and that team can mash. Uh, it was, uh, Oh hell! Who was the leadoff man? It was Casper Wells, Ryan Streeby, Brennan Bosch, Alex Avila. Um, there was a few other horses. Uh, Scott Sizemore. Uh, mm-hmm. I think everybody thought big things about that team, and then those guys. You know, a couple of those guys went on to have some decent years uh, in the big leagues, but nothing really stood out. Um, 2013 was just kind of a balanced year when we made the playoffs that year. Um, but top to bottom, talent wise, this is probably the best Erie offense we've seen. Pitching wise, um, it's worked. Uh, they have they have some talent there, but it's not like you saw in 2019, where it's every night in, night out, you know, between Scooble, Fiedo, Manning, Mize. I mean, you name it, you Wentz out there every came night over. you have an opportunity to win. Yeah, and then Wentz came over in the trade late in the year. Um, so yeah, that was that was the best pitching staff we'd ever had. Um, but offense wise, this is this has been fun to watch. This team's pretty special right now, and you know, I've said this tons of times on the air this year. Even if one guy's having a bad day, there's four other guys that pick him up, and I've never seen anything like it. It, it. It's just incredible how there's somebody different every single night. And we looked this up on the air yesterday. Erie is leading the league by like 70 points with ninth inning batting average, and it's up over 300 hitting in the ninth inning. And I think the next closest team was Akron hitting like 250 in the ninth. Um, so that just this team is never out of games, and it makes it fun. And there have been very few games that Erie has lost, I think maybe three, that they haven't had the tying run if they're at the plate or on deck in the ninth inning. That's how, that's how well-balanced this team has been all year. So it's been fun to watch. And it's not always the, you know, the superstar prospects that are getting it done. I mean, they're, they get a lot of the attention. Um, but, you know, today, Kerry Carpenter, three hits, three RBIs. You had um, Brady Policelli, another uh, three RBI day for him. Um, we've had even John Rossoff had a jump started a rally in Altoona about a month ago. I mean, every single night it's somebody different and that makes us, makes it exciting. And, you know, I know a lot of folks come out to see the, the big studs play every night, but it, it's a lot of the role players that have, um, that have really contributed. And I think some of these guys are kind of playing themselves into potential roles somewhere in the future. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's that triple a guy that goes up and down. Maybe it's the fourth outfielder type of position. Um, you know, you, you look at a guy like Jake Robson, who we had earlier this season, uh, that kid can go up and, and, and be a fourth outfield or pretty much anywhere in the big leagues right now. And he's sitting in Toledo. So, um, there, there's some, there's some good pieces down here for sure. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You know, you're looking at, at guys like Johnny Valenti. That, that's just, that's, uh, I forgot about him. He's been out of the lineup the past couple of days. He's, he's been phenomenal. He's hitting three thirty all year. Yeah. That's somebody you don't, you don't want to face. And then, uh, you no. know, uh, Josh Lester is, you know, he's a, a veteran. It, yeah, the guy who could, you know, hit the ball over the fence and and turn the game around. We saw he he won on a walk off not that long ago. So, yeah, it's a really impressive offensive lineup down there. It's fun to watch. Which and it's it funny is. because at the beginning of the year, we were like, ah, that lineup. I don't know. And then suddenly, a couple of weeks later, it's it, it's it's you know, deadly from top to bottom. 
Well, that's what we thought too. We saw the original roster. And we're like, "Ooh, how are we going to score runs here?" <laughs> and the first couple of games of the season, we're scoring 12, 14 runs, and it's like, okay, maybe these. You know, you look at it on paper, and I think we get all kind of stuck in this trap of, well, they're not prospect status. And if you're not top 10, then it doesn't matter. And I, I think that for some of these guys, maybe there was a little bit of a chip on their shoulder when they came into this season. Um, you know, a guy like Kreidler, I, I think he's putting together a nice year. Uh, obviously, his strikeout numbers are, are not where you want to see them. But you know, he's a guy who says, I play with a chip on my shoulder because, you know, there are other guys drafted around me that I thought I was better than. And, and, and you know, he goes out there and, and performs night in and night out. And that kid's going to play in the big leagues. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's just different every night. And it's been fun to watch. And, I, you know, the, the all-star hire of all of this was Arnie Baylor. Um, the, the Tigers, they, they found Arnie and he's a guy with a wealth of experience. And I don't know if any manager you can just plug and play with this team because you have to, as a manager in the minor leagues these days, you really have to be able to massage egos, but also tell guys what time it is and put them in their place when you need to. And Arnie's been that perfect fit for this ball club specifically because he's been around. I mean, he had, he was in the Red Sox system when Ellsbury and Buckholtz and all those guys came through. So he knows what it's like to manage a, a team of big-time prospects and veteran guys all at the same time. And and he's been uh, just a phenomenal skipper to be around. And he relates to the players, but he's also, he's also the boss. And they know that they need to perform in order to be in the lineup every day. And I thought it was really telling. After last Sunday, uh, he, he was doing his post-game media session, and he said, look, my hands are, are relatively tied right now at the lineup. There are five to six spots every day in the lineup that are going to be taken. And it's incumbent upon the rest of these guys on the roster, if they want to get more playing time, that when they are in the lineup, they need to step up or they're not going to find themselves in the lineup much at all. So I think that was pretty telling. And the fact that he went on record and said that in front of the media, I thought, you know, that's 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 a veteran manager just kind of planting the seeds and saying, hey, you're either going to produce or you're not going to see the field. Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, especially with the way the rotation has changed, I mean, Greg, the, the biggest thing... What rotation? I, yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, like, it seems like it's like every week when I when I do the weekly recaps for Water City Bengals, I'm sitting there going, man, another guy could call... Whoa, it's just, it, there's like, a, it's a constant shuffle, and I got to give credit to Artie for managing a similar what A.J. Hinch is doing right now with all the injuries, but it's just fresh, you know, he's got Mark Leiter Jr. the next one week, and the next week now he's got Chance Kirby in the rotation. That to me is that's kind of a, a good skill set to have, knowing full well that everything is just adjusting on the fly like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that has been a, a, a big issue all season long. And we went into today not even knowing if we were going to have enough pitching to get through the game. It was a bullpen day with Richin going on the DL or, or the IL. Um, you know, there, there, there was there was bullpen arms available, but if one of those guys gets blown up in the game today, then we could have had a position player pitch in the last couple of innings. So there wasn't many available options today. But, yeah, we have not had the same starting rotation for consecutive series all season long. And the fact that we're the, the one of two teams with 30 wins in the league, that's that's an impressive feat. And Mark Johnson's done a nice job of navigating that along with Arnie, just trying to navigate what they're going to do on a daily basis. And, you know, you're right. You, you have guys. You had, we had some veteran guys. Payano was here. Leiter was here. And because of all the injuries in Detroit, then you're, you're, you're shuffling guys up and down constantly. Um, and, you know, it's funny because you'll hear baseball players. Well, I want to know my role. Well, your role with this team this year and really in the entire organization is when you're called upon, get out there and perform. And that's that's where we are at this point. With all the injuries in Detroit, it has created 
a really tough situation for everybody on the pitching side of the entire organization. So they're leaning a lot on these arms. Um, and, and, you know, even a guy like, like Joe Navalon, um, you know, the other night he went out, starter goes just one inning. He had to go give, uh, give four innings in relief. And it's just been next man up mentality all year. And you don't hear guys complaining and it, it's, it's just refreshing to be around. Yeah, and, and you've seen a lot of guys come up from the lower levels this year, and, and you know that Torkelson and Dingler are the big ones. But I'm I'm kind of curious about your impressions of of you know not all of them, but some of the guys who caught your eye there that, that have come up. Pitching or position player wise, or both? Any, any of them? No, um, I, I think obviously Lipsius is is one that's really stood out. Um, Palacelli, who, who was in Toledo, um, was really struggling up there, and I think that was a guy that was probably. You know, I, I was a little surprised he wasn't here to start the season, but he, but he's been a, a big time contributor with uh, with Valencia being out of the lineup the last couple of days. Uh, Chance Kirby, the fact that that kid went out and threw six innings two nights ago, I mean, you talk about huge. That was that was probably one of the biggest starts of the season for an Erie pitcher. The fact that he went out there and threw six innings. Um, uh, Jesus Rodriguez has come in and given a couple of nice starts as well. Um, Gosh, I'm blanking on a couple of the bullpen guys now because there's been so many of them. Um, you know, do, do you enjoy the antics of uh, Ruben Garcia? Because I, I definitely do. He's a piece of work on the mound. That's, <laughs> that's fun to watch. Um, I, I don't think I have ever seen a pitcher as animated as he has been. And, you know, he, he got touched up yesterday. It was for three runs. Um, and then, you know, he gets, gets hit for three runs in an inning. And under normal circumstances, you'd say, okay, he's done for the night. And with the lack of arms, they had to send him back out there. And then he goes out the next inning, fires a scoreless frame. Um, so it was it was good to see because that was really the first time he had been truly tested. Uh, gave up some runs, and then they, you know, with the next man up mentality, well, he was the only man up. And so it's get get back out there and, and go. And yeah, he's uh, I, he's got so many gyrations, and I mean the ball. It, the hair's going everywhere. He's dangling his arm. He's got the high set. The, it's it's interesting to watch on, on a given night, but he's gone out and, and, and produced. And I've heard from some scouts that say, you know, we were kind of eyeing him up uh, in, in the rule five a couple of years ago and the Tigers scooped him up. So, you know, it, it's, it's guys like that, that, you know, I, I know the front office tends to get some bad raps at times in, in Detroit, but then you look at a guy like Ruben Garcia, uh, a guy that, you know, I don't think anybody really was on anybody's radar. And again, other than the one inning that he gave up the three runs at Akron, He's been rock solid all season. So I, I think they are, are really, you're starting to see the fruits of the labor of some of the scouting coming through this season. Especially with Lipsius. I mean, the biggest thing that you guys have noticed, and I noticed this all weekend, highlighting his defensive ability at third. He played oh, my goodness. And it's it's amazing to see. And, and Greg, I mean, the biggest takeaway, and this is somebody I've been watching since 2019 when he was at West Michigan, he's constantly taking with his bat. He's been able to, just and then you saw the single of the middle night in the night or the night or this afternoon the ninth where he just he made the adjustment he comes off sometimes like it's almost like he two different people during the game where he the constant in-game adjustments but it's his glove his arm that's where I, to me the the hang-up of his scout report was well he's slow-footed but i asked i mean he just doesn't seem that way out there at all <laughs> i i agree i mean you hit the nail on the head that arm is something else i mean the play he made was it yesterday when he doubled up Oscar Gonzalez and it was a line drive and Gonzalez was not far off the bag at all. And Lipsius, he just smoked that ball over to first. And I was like, Whoa, I mean, it caught me off guard. I'm like, all right, that's, that's pretty legit. Um, you know, it, it's, 
it's funny because I heard the same things about him where well, he doesn't quite have the range and yeah, but he gets to everything. And you put him at second, he makes the plays. You put him at third, he makes the plays. And while it's not always the flashiest, he can have the flashy plays, and we've seen that. But the kid's got one error, and he's been up for better part of a month or so. He got to the team when we were last in Akron, so probably three, four weeks he's been there. That's coming around at times. Still hasn't, you know. There are still nights where he puts some some real clunker at bats up there. Um, but yeah, you know, he's got a little bit of pop in that bat, and you know, he's a guy that can play himself into a prospect status if, if it continues on this path. Because look, you you love the defense, and now you just got to get the stick going a little bit. But yeah, you're you're right that the thing you've heard the same things and you've seen the same things that I I heard about him coming up. Where it's like, ah. Eh not a real rangy guy not going to get to everything he's a solid guy makes the routine plays and it's not the routine plays he's making every play right uh, yeah I, i've just always been impressed by his his instincts uh it just seems like he just knows the right play to make at the right or make at the right time and, and uh yeah it's really impressive to watch i you know we do watch a lot of eerie games, uh, particularly now that Dingler and, and Torkelson are up there with Green. And, uh, yeah, we, we often hear your home run call, touch them all time. Uh, I, I'm curious where that came from. And if uh, moving beyond that, if you have any kind of particular favorite calls that you've made over the years. Where did that come from? Um, I want to say it was because didn't Dick Enberg do touch them all back in the day uh, when he was still living? And then. In Erie, they somehow they flashed touch them all on the board one time. And I was in my in my younger years, I saw it up there and it just kind of popped out. And somebody was like, Oh, that sounded good. I'm like, all right, well, we'll stick with it. So that, that there was really nothing other than I had heard Edinburgh say it a few times. I saw it on the scoreboard randomly one night, and I'm like, that eh, just kind of stuck. So that was um so favorite calls. Uh I think that number one was 07 um we were we were fighting with akron and altoona for a playoff spot um it was three teams for two spots that year and it was towards the end of the year and we had had just an awful year in 2006 i mean my first year in double a we probably had the worst eerie team that i had been around i mean the guy it was a veteran team wasn't prospects the manager was a dud um and in fact they, they were waiting in the clubhouse at the last game of the season it was glenn Azell who just passed away not too long ago um was the player development director and he's waiting in the clubhouse after the game to fire the entire coaching staff <laughs> literally after the last out they walked in they didn't know he was coming he's standing there they all got let go um so the next year the, the jeff Larris one and i don't remember the date but he had hit a a walk-off home run that really put us in position to win the division. And then when we won the division that year, it was just kind of like, wow, we suffered through just awfulness in all of uh, all of 20, 2006. And then to go and win the division the next year, I think it was probably those two calls from that year. Um, the Casey Mize no-hitter really stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fun. And that was a call that, you know, as a minor league broadcaster, um, you know, I've, I've obviously had a couple opportunities with the Tigers to, to call some games for them. Um, but, you know, you, you just try to get your name on as much as possible. And that Mize no hitter call was just shown everywhere. I'm glad I nailed it. I know a lot of minor league broadcasters that have loved no hitter calls. And um, so that, that was a fun one there. And, you know, Fox Sports Detroit had it on there. Uh, it was everywhere. And that was that was really cool. Um, and then I think later on in, in 2019, uh, Derek Hill 
um, made an unbelievable oh, no. catch in center field, um, robbed a home run, and we were in the playoff chase at the time, and it was uh, it was really a game-saving catch. Uh, would have been a three-run home run. He brought it back, uh, just climbed the wall, reached over, grabbed it, and brought it back. And that was uh, that was one of my favorite calls. Um, I think I think the the worst one. I was actually. It's funny you asked that because the uh, couple of the guys in the clubhouse were asking me a couple of days ago about my my best calls, my worst calls, and the worst one was, um, and it actually went viral, which Uh-oh. really stunk. Um, <laughs> it was 2013 in the playoffs. We were down one nothing to Harrisburg in the series. Um, Brandon Douglas was on Second third, um, tough as nails player. And I want to say Jamie Johnson may have hit a chopper up the line at first. First baseman gloves it, throws to the catcher. Douglas trucks the catcher. Ball goes flying. I mean, it looked like a car wreck. Equipment flying everywhere. And I was just like so overcome with emotion. It was practically screaming as Douglas was literally on his hands and knees crawling and then just kind of just slams his hand on home plate and then just falls over and the trainers got to run out and get him. Uh, Brian Geralman was the catcher that day and uh, he was lucky he didn't die. Um, it was, it was that bad. He had lasting, lasting uh, injuries from, from that collision at the plate. And so that was the same year Buster Posey got knocked out uh, with collisions. And there were had, there had been talk after that happened that major league baseball was going to change some rules. And then the Douglas play happens in the playoffs and that really magnified, went viral. And that was kind of the last straw of when that catcher rule changed throughout all of baseball. And so my call was on ESPN and it was like, Oh no, I, I I'm like the minor league guy who just couldn't control himself in the middle of a tense playoff series. And so, yeah, I, I wish I had that one back. <laughs> no, I, I was, I, I kind of interjected there for a second. I, I remember, I feel like you got two years in a row, you got walk-offs on the 4th of July. Oh yeah, those were awesome. Yeah, Jake Rogers did it. Um, that was a tie ball, or it was a tire down a run uh, to Bowie in 2018. Rogers just crushed the ball, and then 2019, it was actually a part of three straight walk-offs against Binghamton on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Um, the first night was, uh, I think, a sacrifice fly from Cam Gibson. I can't remember the second night, and then Derek Hill just crushes a ball and wins it and it was the largest crowd in stadium history and it was it was just wild i mean i i don't think i've ever had a call in front of a more electric atmosphere in the minor leagues than than those two home runs yeah i remember that being pretty pretty sweet to watch yeah yeah absolutely you talk about like uh, those kind of calls where someone sounds like uh the uh was it uh, jerry uh jim ross he's like oh my god he's been insulted uh, in the uh, <laughs> as God is my witness, he, he's yeah. dead. Um, he killed him. He, he killed. Oh my God. Um. Yeah. So last question for you, Greg. So I know yeah. that you're interested in golf and what and what have you. And I, there was a tweet the other day that you did a Bret Hart comparison, and I yeah I did. Forever became, I, I forever became a fan because I was thinking I've been watching a lot of Dark Side of the Ring. It's something outside of uh watching baseball, but it was it was one of the, outside of golf. What else do you do that just kind of pass the time when you do have a free moment to yourself? Um, I don't know if you watch uh, old, uh, you know, WWE matches from the '90s, what have you. But it's just that. So I, I grew up a uh, I grew up a pretty big wrestling fan when I was younger, um, and um, 
So I we, I went as a kid. I kind of got out of it. Got when I got to Erie, uh, a bunch of people in the front office were huge fans. So I I started you know we would go to events and actually struck up a little bit of a friendship with uh, with John Cone, who's one of the officials for WWE. So every time they come anywhere near, we always go. So yeah, I I do enjoy watching watching old wrestling. I'm a big fan of the Dark Side of the Ring, and then uh, that A and E biography series uh, yeah. that they ran was I thought really well done uh and then that other show that they were running on the lost treasures i thought that was pretty cool um so yeah i, I mean I, I i don't watch as much as i used to um big music guy uh i am uh, a huge jimmy buffett fan um that's that's the one thing that keeps me, head. oh gosh i yeah i mean there, there's a picture behind me if you can see it, my wife and i at a buffett show and there's a land shark uh, <laughs> in, in my hands there um yeah buffett is uh uh, other than wife and family, it's probably uh, Jimmy Buffett's my my next love in life. Um, I actually got to meet him a few years ago down in Houston when I was at a show. Um, but yeah, I've been to 25 Buffett shows. The most recent one was in Paris on my birthday in 2019, so that was pretty cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I, I I enjoy that, and I, honestly, I enjoy just relaxing. I'm a big beach guy all around, so kind of like the whole Buffett chill atmosphere is 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 all me. Um, that's uh, that that's I, I like that uh, a lot. That's that's kind of my escape, uh, if, if you will, is 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 music. Um, and then got into I've always been a bit of a workout junkie, but I really started to focus on my health in in 2019. I'm, I'm down 60 pounds from where I was I at the end yeah, of the wow. Very inspirational. Yeah, um, nice. So yeah, I literally I, I got back from uh, we, we the stupid game that lasted three and a half hours. I was planning on a nice little long run at Prescott Island tonight. That didn't happen, so I ran around the neighborhood and hurried up and showered and got on with you guys. But yeah, I've been. Uh, it, it was a bit of a test this year to try and, and keep myself in shape during baseball season. So that's uh, that's been that's been tough um, to try and get workouts in. But yeah, you know it's. <laughs> I like to have fun, but I also like my quiet time. I mean, I, you know, sm going out on my deck and smoking a cigar and enjoying a nice summer night is, is kind of my thing. I just really enjoy relaxing because what we do, especially in the minor leagues, it's just day in and day out constant all the time. And when you're able to get out and just enjoy life, uh, it, it's, it's pretty nice. So, well, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier and it was one thing I wanted, I was curious about is do you prefer these kind of six game sets now to the three games, three games, two games, things like I that. Before. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a great question because we've, uh, we've talked about it so many times in the industry about what we'd like to see moving forward. And I don't think we know where the schedule is going to go in the future. I mean, from a travel side of it alone in 2019, just for comparison sakes, we had over 10,000 miles traveled uh, with this year. We're only going to have 4,800 miles on the road. Um, and uh, obviously 20 fewer games than we had in the past. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been nice to have more regional travel this year. We're not hitting the three teams in the Northeast. So that would obviously jack up the miles, um, quite a bit. So there's a lot of talk of what's going to happen with the schedule uh, as a broadcaster. Uh, it, it's nice to kind of get settled in. And by the end of the series, you really start to learn the tendencies of what your team is doing to make adjustments and what the opponents are doing to make adjustments against you. So it uh, makes for some great strategy by the managers and uh, of how to kind of play this all out. So, yeah, I mean, does it get does it get old playing the same team six games in a row? At times it does, but it's it's something new. And I can tell you right now, it, it sure beats, you know, going from – Erie to Harrisburg for three days, back for six, and then back out for ten. I mean, it's it's the back and forth stuff kills you. So I I really hope with the, the with the Major League Baseball takeover of the minor leagues that they're able to improve the scheduling because it was a problem. 
Uh, it, it was, you know, I, I, I've said this on the record a few times. A lot of the ailments of minor league baseball and the leagues themselves, they did it to themselves. And operators have uh, have throughout the years kind of stretched the limits on what they can do with scheduling. And, you know, the, the, the cardinal sin always was, hey, we have a four-game series Monday through Thursday, so we're going to put the morning game on a Tuesday. And it's like, well, you're really not taking the player development side of it into account when you're doing moves like that. So I think that it's probably a good thing that Major League Baseball is taking over the schedule. Um, it, it, it takes a little bit of freedom away from the operators, and I know some operators don't like it. But, you know, much like I, I – you, you, you hear coaches say to players, you don't like it, play better. My thing to operators who complain about schedules, you don't like it, operate it better. Um, because I, at the end of the day, if for far too long, too many organizations did not um, put put the player development and the players uh, ahead of the almighty dollar. Now, don't get me wrong. We're all in business. And we're all here to make money on the minor league side, uh, especially after a year of COVID. We're all, we're all struggling to scratch across any dollar we can in the uh, – in the piggy bank. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think overall the, the six game series has worked out well. Um, you know, I, I would like to see a few changes on how they do the schedule, but uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We really don't know. Um, there have been conversations with that. We've been asked schedule preferences for the future and what you'd like to see. And, uh, and they're, they're MLB is keeping it close to the best right now and how they're going to do this moving forward. So Greg, thanks so much for joining us. I'll let you get to your cigar and again. And I apologize to your broadcast partner for being so fast on the clips. I heard you mention it's the other day about that. But, and it was one of those things where I was, I was clipping and I heard him say, he's like, well, oh, these guys are getting alive. What am I supposed to do? When he said it last week, uh, it was just, you know, we're, at a lot of our fans, it's funny because, like, as soon as we put something out, people are just like instantly retweeting it, or they'll say, "Oh yeah, call up, call them up, call them up," and it's so, it's so refreshing, you know. It it is maddening right now with with Tiger's Twitter, and I, <laughs> yeah. I I say this on the air every night. Let them develop, and I you know I've talked to scouts outside of the uh, Tiger organization, and they all say the same thing with Green, Dingler, Torkelson, Kreidler. Let them stay together. Let them stay in one place, whether it's Erie, whether it's Toledo, keep them together. Because you look back in the early 80s, what did they do? Cram, Whitaker, Brookins, um, Gibby. Lance Parrish, Gibby, all of them were together. And that's what you have to win at the minor league level to produce winning up top. And that's what they did in 2019. There was all this rumblings. Why is it Mize in Toledo? Why is it Mize in Detroit? I think the organization probably got that right of how they handled it. Now, it'll be interesting on the position player side because we didn't think those guys would be up here this early. But whether it's in Erie, and we hope they're here for a while, but I think West Michigan thought they would be West Michigan a lot longer than they were. But move them together. And, you know, I would keep all four of them one place, whether it's here or Toledo, move them all at the same time because those guys need to get that, – that's your future. And you want them playing together as much as possible so when they're in Detroit – they know what they're going to do up there together. And I think that's kind of my lasting message here is that, you know, when, no matter what happens, and I know fans don't want to hear that because it's all this instant gratification. And why aren't they here? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they here? And quite frankly, if the Tigers make a run and they get in contention for wild card, maybe that changes the equation a little bit. But I, I think people just need to really pump the brakes. But, yeah, no, I was just busting, busting chops about the, uh, the high. Look, the more we can push out the fact that these prospects are here, it's better for all of us. And whoever beats it, I don't care. At the end of the day, as long as my call's out there, I don't care who tweets it first. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, but you, you make a good point. That's something that we're trying to preach with the patients. I mean, you look, look, look at your hometown Indians. It worked for them in the 90s. That that core of Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomei, you had Carlos, uh, or who was the second baseman? Um, Mariota. 
Barga. Yeah, they had Barga. Mm-hmm. You had all these guys that were in that group. And then every year from ninety from ninety one to two thousand two, they always had a core of guys that kicked the Tigers butt every time. Because I just recall when the Tigers moved to Central, the Indians always had three or four guys just cropped up together uh, over from their affiliates over, and it was it was a beautiful way they did it. And I, I credit to I believe it was John Hart. It was John Hart. The, yeah, it would have been John yeah. Hart back. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the same philosophy and just preaching to the fans. So. Greg, thanks yeah, again. I, think, I think really the only thing that changes it is if, if they, like I said, if they make a run somehow and everything starts working right now in Detroit, then maybe you might see one of these guys going up. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to bring them to the big leagues, there's really not a whole big reason to take them to Toledo at this point because you need mm-hmm. guys in Toledo that are the shuttle guys right now. Right, and right. if these guys are going to be a part of that shuttle up and down or up to stay, then, then, then leave them where they are. Agreed. Absolutely. All right, Greg, thanks so much for joining us. And again, if, um, tomorrow with the Monday off, the off day, and then you have Tuesday, they come in. Uh, who's it coming in? Oh, it's uh, Reddy, uh, correct? Reddy. Yep, Reddy yeah, will be coming on Tuesday. Yeah, so hopefully uh, Chris and I will probably head out there Wednesday or Thursday for a couple of days and check it out. So, Greg, again, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, let me know when you guys are here. For sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, right, Greg. See ya. All right, take care, guys. Have a good night. Yeah, and, and kind of, you know, what's interesting to that point we were just talking about, I was thinking I've seen some people complain, uh, White Sox fans. We've uh, we've become uh, befriended a bunch of White Sox Twitter over the last year or so, and a lot of them are, are upset that uh, you know Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet are up. You know they're their last two first overall or first round draft picks, and they barely got any time to develop at all in the minors, and they're not doing all that well. And it's it's like that's what you the risk you run of bringing up guys. Torlson mm-hmm. and Green and Dingler. I mean, they're they're not finished products yet. And well, Kellenek, right? I mean, that's the same yeah. same idea. It's like, okay, you know, call them up, call them up, call them up, and claim service time manipulation and all that. But at the end of the day, like, it takes time. So yeah, yeah and, and okay. I, well, Chris, sorry. Oh, I was just saying. I mean, we, we can talk about Mize and Scoobal. Their first ten starts for both right. of them. Neither of them looked great, and and here we are this year, and they like. What the Tigers are doing right now is is like 100% driven by the young guys. Badu and Scoople and Short is coming in and, and Cameron, all those guys. It, it, and it's, you know, they, they had to adjust for a little bit, but uh, now we're seeing it. So, yeah, it's exciting. Give yeah, them here, Badu. <laughs> you <laughs> got to give us some time. Yeah, you got to give us some time. And the, the one of the things that you guys meant, and you mentioned this too, the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, Vlad right. Jr. struggled really mightily because everybody was like, get him here, get him here. And then there was kind of like this, oh, he's too overweight, da, da, da. Now he's like just crushing it. It takes mm-hmm. time. And so every time I say bring him up, I just, I cringe sometimes when, I do these, when we do these clips, Chris. And I know Jake, sometimes when you post them too, I'm sure you can sit and go, guys. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, I assume that, like I said before, I assume that people are not being terribly serious, but like your, your point about Vlad yeah. Jr. is, is perfect. He hit like 7,000 in the minors yeah. and he comes up to the majors and it's very hard. So, you know, just pump the brakes, everybody enjoy these guys down while they're down in the minors and, and they'll come up when they're ready. Don't be a box score warrior. Please do me a favor. If you're going <laughs> to do me a favor, if you're going to be a box score warrior, do not critique Ryan Kreidler, for example, look at his stats and go, Oh, he sucks. Okay. Considering that he's Justin from class a low a to a double A. Yeah. He's got eight home runs. His strikeout rate, yeah, it is what it is. He's still adjusting. This is his yeah. second full season in the minors. Stop it. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a an infielder who can, you know, he can 
can play shortstop. Uh, you know, we, we said before that's probably not his ideal position, but mm-hmm. he's you know, like you said, eight home runs. He's got an ISO above one hundred and fifty. It's uh, well, and it's know, kind of progress. like what we talked about. Like, you know, he was not on anybody's map heading into the season, really, and then all of a yeah. sudden he's hitting in the alt site, and you know, he gets an aggressive assignment, and we kind of we're like, okay, you know, maybe it's gotten a little out of hand, you know, by by Twitter of thinking that he's some, you know, top 10 prospect. I don't even think he's really that in my opinion, but I think it's kind of convenient, but like Don Kelly, like that kind of makes sense where he can like stand at a lot of positions and, you know, he can hit and fill in and, and do some different things on the field. And that's more than I thought that, that he was when he was drafted. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, yeah, he, he took a, a huge jump. That's Roger's yeah. point is, is, I don't think that we talked about before. Did he even play in low A? I think he was just in the Northwest or, or the, uh, was the, that was in that yeah, was it. New York, New York Penn Lake. So yep. I don't know. I, I mean, that's one of those things. There, there are times when, you know, you people just haven't been following minor league baseball that, uh, that long, or they don't understand, uh, you know, how big of a leap that is. Uh, so, you know, at, at a certain point, maybe he needs to make some adjustments, but I don't know. I'm still impressed with him. I'd probably put him in the top 20 in the system now. Yeah. Toward the back end of it, probably. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway. So, yeah. Jake, you actually went to Toledo today, right? Yeah. Uh, I did. Was, uh, the Jake report. I'm going to call this the, uh, the Jake boss report. <laughs> no, no. The boss. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What, what sounds cooler? The boss report or the Jake report? <laughs> the the Bo's boss report the Bo's boss report yeah so I, I say boss because I mean your last Throw name is Bo's but it just sounds really cool is it the Bo's boss report there, yeah, there we go yeah, yeah. What, was, go. Right. what was the uh, not to ruin everything what was the Bo's speakers <laughs> they, they must have had I know it's different spelling but they must have had like some sort of uh, you know slogan for like hey Bo's were high quality whatever uh yeah i don't know um See? i wrote it speaker slogan <laughs> see what the, the old google machine says better sound through research there you go better scouting through research bam let's do it <laughs> the bose report <laughs> yeah so i mean i i had the opportunity to go to toledo's more um more fan based i i guess um, from that sense, which is kind of nice and refreshing in some ways, because yeah. you know you're not worried about taking video and you're not worried about taking notes and making sure that you're getting the right at bats for different guys. But um, yeah, just to kind of watch it at a glance was really interesting. And there were a couple of things that that happened that were kind of curious to me. Um, first off, was the whole uh, Cody Clemens, and if you were kind of following along on Twitter, you got some some intel on what was happening but uh it, it was it's kind of strange and and there could be an infinite number of possibilities of what were happening but basically he was taken out in the middle of the game he was playing second base and uh, there was a, a shuffle so jacoby jones was playing center field he came in and played second base um stewart moved from right to left and then they put dylan rosa in at right field and um it wasn't really clear why Clemens was removed. Um, I know there were some rumblings about um, him being on. Oh, what was the the wording that Lynn Henning used? I think it was thin ice, or he was on. Uh, yeah, I can't recall I, the exact wording. Yeah, it was. Yeah, earlier this week where he had he had left a game early, and uh, it was uh, it speculated that he didn't run hard enough to first base. So there was. Let me see. I'll, I'll go back and find it. 
Okay. And this is, I think it was right after he had hit an opposite field home run. So, I mean, I, it didn't seem like it was performance-based. I, I suppose it's possible, you know, we were kind of talking before the show, like it's definitely possible that you can get injured and it's not obvious to the point where you get taken out in the middle of the game. He just kind of goes back and says, hey, you know, I got a hammy or whatever. So it could be totally injury-related. And um, Chris, you mentioned Miguel Cabrera didn't play today. Um, that could be related. We have seen some Cody Clemens at first base. Um, so there could be something there, I suppose, um, to where he would get a call up. But yeah, it's it's kind of an infinite number of possibilities. And I haven't heard uh, yet. I've been kind of watching to see if there was any news about um, why he was removed, but I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, I, I found Lynn's tweet that basically ends uh, with to replace Cody Clemens, who was in hot water. Hot water, uh, okay, hot water. And then his his follow up tweet was Tom Price would only say afterward that it was quote a manager's decision, mm-hmm. but it probably stemmed from the ground ball of first base that Clemens hit in the fifth. He either believed it was foul or was being handled handled for easing out minus an overly ambitious sprint on his part. So, and yeah, in Lynn speak, yeah, he he, <laughs> he <laughs> thought it was a, a ground ball, and, and either Clemens thought it was foul or just thought it was an easy out, so he didn't run, and that. Uh, made the manager not happy, but like you said, you're you're. I mean, you're there as a fan. You're still watching, and you didn't mm-hmm. notice anything that was uh, no egregious. So, like you said, yeah, something to watch as as things move along. We also heard some reports about Drew Hutchison, who was signed um, as a minor league free agent and was mentioned as a potential option um, for Detroit at some point this year. Which I agree, just out of necessity, um, because they're going to have. You know, we, we're still out of Boyd. We're still out on Turnbull. Um, Roni Garcia is injured. I'm missing some names for sure. Um, Tehran. Tehran. Yeah. So it's like all of these injuries mounting up. Um, you have Mize and Scooble that are likely coming up on innings limits. So there's going to come a point where, you know, they're going to need some innings from some guys. So I think just out of pure necessity, Drew Hutchison is probably a name that we'll see in Detroit at some point. That being said, um, it was kind of fostered as a um, performance-based kind of promotion. Um, and they said that the the fastball was more like 93 to 94. I didn't see that while I was there. I saw mostly 91, 92. He touched 93 a few times. Um, and, and Toledo's gun tends to be between like a half and one um, high. So if anything, it was, you know, probably a little bit light on that but um yeah i thought that was kind of kind of interesting as well and you know who knows it could be um you know just a a, a different day kind of thing it, it could literally be anything why he wasn't hitting those velocities but um it seems like the, the manager from from uh, toledo is it price mm-hmm. was kind of insisting on the velocity i was kind of like ah, i didn't see you know anything really there um, so I thought that was kind of fascinating just to see him because I know he was kind of rumored as an option to be in Detroit at some point. So kind of kept an eye on him a little bit. And then thirdly was um, Jason Foley, which was um, kind of a bummer to see. He came out and, you know, I'm, I'm there with the family. So I kind of like get their attention. I'm like, hey, you know, this is a guy you might see like 100 miles an hour. Be kind of cool. Right. And um, he goes out there and first pitch comes out at I think it was 90 or 89. I was like, oh, that's the must be a changeup. Like, I don't know, must be a changeup. And um, five, four or five pitches go by, and they're all somewhere between 90 to 92. And I was kind of like, oh, that's not good. 
So I, I kind of like told them like, hey, like this isn't normal. This there's something kind of wrong here. And it wasn't, you know, 10 seconds after that um, it, they ended up taking them out. So hopefully it's just precautionary. Hopefully it's not anything serious. Um, the, the kind of irony and literally adding insult to injury. They, they checked him for tacky substance yeah. as he was leaving. It's like kind of rolling my eyes about that. But yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on with Jason Foley. Hopefully they, um, they're able to, to, to get him figured out and get him healthy and get him back on the field. It's kind of a cool story. Yeah. No, I, uh, I looked, it looked like he, uh, he had a walk and got one out and that was it for him. And they brought in Angel De Jesus. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. We've seen three times now, I think. You may have seen him more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> You're kind of like, ah. Yeah, I didn't I see the, him. I, think the, I know the organization likes him. We, we, we heard we heard that when we were sitting last time in Toledo. But, I mean, Jake is the first name out of, out of Dave Littlefield's mouth. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, uh, unofficially, of course. But, um, yeah. but no, what I mean, it was still mid-90s. And still, I mean, he had a secondary, yeah, like, like a slider and a change, right? Yeah, it was more like 91 to 94. And we heard rumors of like 94 to 96. It wasn't really that. So I guess that's why I was kind of eh about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's from a from a fan's perspective, it's one and two thirds innings of scoreless ball, right? So you like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the box score warriors are going. I'm going to start making that term the Tiger so the box score warriors. <laughs> the warriors kind of like, well, oh. Um, but the, the, the other warriors, uh, warriors, come on up and play. The, the, the bottle oh. clinking. Um, you know, and I know they had to make the decision on sending Paredes down, and I know some mm-hmm. fans were probably upset about that, but it makes sense in the in the end because Paredes is one of those players that seems like he has to play every day, and I have no issue with it. Uh, but in terms of uh, Ronaldo Nunez, who keeps just stinging the ball, mm-hmm. it's just is it a case where? You, just him playing against four A pitching like Memphis. Memphis isn't one of their. This is not one of the strongest years for St. Louis's Triple uh, A affiliate. I mean, outside of uh, Matt uh, Lepator, they don't really have many people, do they? No, not really. And and their pitcher struggled. Uh, Rondon, he, I think he's their ninth prospect, both by Prospects Live as well as MLB Pipeline. So, uh, fairly highly rated in the context of. Of prospects, but he's not having the best year, and he was struggling with command a little bit. So, uh, but he was ninety-one to ninety-four with his um, fastball today. So, yeah, it could be one of those things where he's just kind of punishing mistakes. Um, I don't know. I would like to see him get another shot, just because I feel like the leash was so short with him. Like he never really had even the opportunity to prove his worth, in my opinion. I I wish they would have given him a longer look but i don't know is what it is yeah that always was odd to me because it felt like I'm, I'm looking now he let's see 27 at bats this year mm-hmm. that's that's like uh i'm trying to remember back in the day that was like brad eldred they brought up brad eldred <laughs> to play first base and i i feel like it was like 17 18 at bats and i'm gonna look yeah but yeah i don't know I, it would be cool to see him get another shot and um i don't know there was a lot of um interesting christian stewart hit a home run to like um, that would have been right center field. Crushed a ball out there. Um, Clemens already talked about him uh, hitting an opposite field home run. One thing that we should probably talk about on the defensive side, I thought it was fascinating, and this could be 
I don't know anything, I suppose. But when they moved Jacoby in, they moved him to second base. And Jacoby Jones had, I think I looked, he had like five summer games in his college days at second base. Like he has virtually no experience. And he was kind of laughing as he was coming off the field, turning a double play because it just looked awkward as heck. But they chose to keep Jones at second and Paredes at shortstop who has a decent amount of experience playing second base. So you'd think the the logical decision would be to move Jacoby Jones to shortstop and move Paredes over to second base. Devil's advocate, maybe shortstop is considered a more premium defensive position. They want the guy who's played there more recently to to stay there, and you can kind of hide Jacoby at second. I don't know. I don't really know what the the thought was there, but um, maybe it lends a little context as to what the organization is thinking as well regarding Paredes. Yeah, because I mean, wasn't wasn't uh, he when he was traded? Jones was traded to from Pittsburgh. He was playing shortstop, right, Chris? He played shortstop. He played some third base. I think he played all over the infield in college, maybe. Um, yeah, I was just curious. Like, I, I guess it, it's always tough to know, especially in the era of, of COVID. Like, who's available? Like, isn't Cole Peterson still in Toledo? What? Jesus, uh, Pete. Yeah, I guess I don't know. And Detroit's home, so there wouldn't be a taxi squad, right? Uh, yeah, I, I don't. So, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to tough to know exactly what's going on there it does it feels like putting jacoby jones at second base is kind of an emergency thing like not the sort of i well, I, I remember back in the day i think pudge played second base for the tigers for a game or inning or two uh and i know i remember avila playing third base i think yeah but uh <laughs> yeah it was definitely out of necessity and it was kind of funny to see some twitter responses that are like finally you know yeah. he, he's versatile he's an athlete try to move him around and try to it's like yeah you know maybe but this was this wasn't like a planned thing by any stretch. Yeah. It was like Cody was there and then he was gone and then there was all this kind of shifting around. And Peterson hasn't played since uh, June twenty second. So it could be a case oh. where he's a little banged up right now in Toledo. He's be, on the Toledo yeah. roster, but he hasn't not played since June twenty second. So it could be I'm looking it could be injured or what have you. So um but Pudge played two innings at third base in 2006, or, or second base in 2006. Only two in a uh, second base in his career. What? I forgot yeah. Pudge played second. It, yeah, it was. I, I think it may have been like when Polanco got hurt. The, wow. the great Carlos Guillen experiment at second. I never, I never liked that. Personally. Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm looking for Avila at third base because I swear Alex Avila <laughs> played third base too. I, but, uh, I think you might be right on that. Yeah. But the uh, the other part before we go on the Erie, because I mean, we I know we talked about Erie with uh, in terms of. With, with Greg about it, what he's seen so far, and but I, you know, I gotta give a lot of credit. Like I, I gotta go back to the bullpen. I mean, again, the the bullpen for Erie all weekend. Minus, I mean, there was a couple times that I lit up a little bit, but they they it was solid, and I was kind of surprised a little bit because they have so much new talent in there. And Travis Fernander, I was talking to Keen. Keen was down in Erie today, or excuse me, Akron today. Talk about him and his kind of mid nineties fastball. He's got curve that doesn't really i mean it's kind of sits there but i don't uh, right now chance kirby seems to be i mean who is who's the ace of the seawolf staff right now it's really weird i can't actually say in that sentence but in all seriousness it just seems like we talk about greg mentioned earlier next man up but is mm-hmm. there anybody out there jake that stands out to you on that roster that could be a guy that could go okay maybe we could see him in toledo or maybe detroit soon because i i for me i i mean just at, a, at a first glance it seems like it's just reliever Jeff City. 
Yeah, kind of. And it's it's nice in the context of when you look at their starting rotation. You know, they they have the ability to go some to some different guys and mix and match and move around. And yeah, you're looking at Kashao and Avalon today. Uh, Fernander got the got the win. And yeah, it's just kind of a bunch of uh, mixing and matching happening right now. Um, is Yaya Shantouf still with Erie? Yeah. yeah, he pitched uh, yesterday, I believe. I mean, that's a that's an interesting name to kind of keep an eye on. And I'm not sure how old he is, but I did get some looks at him at West Michigan. And uh, the fastball is in the mid-90s, which is a little bit different. He's 24. 24. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a guy where you could kind of see him – you know, coming up in a hurry, it's it's hard because the the forty man roster crunch, which we've already kind of started to experience with um, guys like Bo Burrows, right, who are actually getting claimed. You know, we don't we no longer have these guys that just it's like oh go ahead, it's a foregone conclusion they're going to clear waivers and go to the minors, and there's actually some guys getting claimed now. So you really kind of have to look at the forty man in the context of who's going to reach Detroit and say okay. You know, what's what's really realistic, but it's getting to that point, you know, even with like Foley, if that's got knock on wood, hopefully it's not serious. But if it is, you know, he would probably want be one of the first arms that are that are called up from Toledo. So there is going to be some mixing and matching. I would I would imagine further that happens as the season goes along. But um, Yaya is an interesting, uh, interesting name, literally, but also in the context of coming up. He looks completely different than when we saw him in West Michigan in 2019. He looks absolutely. Like he's gained some muscle too. Like he's not Chris. Does it correct me if I'm wrong? He looks a little thicker, doesn't he? I mean, he looks he looks a little muscular. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is, is is you hear stories about a lot of pitchers who use the the COVID break, basically the year off minor league baseball, to get stronger and throw harder. Uh, all across the minors, not necessarily in, in the Tiger system, but there are guys like that who was like, yeah, there was nothing for me to do but throw. So they're, they're guys with two, three mile uh, velocity gains, and he could be one of them. And, and yeah, that's it's a cool story because he's guy he's got, you know, the, the so-called closer mentality because he was closing at pit. And now he's got uh, stuff that's that's uh, jumped up a little bit. So he's definitely, yeah, it's one of those names that uh, you guys, I think, first pointed out. We saw him down in uh, in West Michigan. Just a guy who's just vaguely more interesting, just like Bo Brisky. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, hey, there's something here. We don't know, you know, if it's going to be major league stuff, but uh, this is somebody at least worth watching. Yeah, definitely keep an eye on. By the way, three innings of scoreless ball on Friday was the last time he pitched. So go. pretty neat. He should toofed him. <laughs> 2.08 ERA on the year. But that's a, uh, you know, I don't know if we wanted to talk. Like I said, I, I've, I've not been able to watch or pay as much attention to minor league baseball this week as I'd like to. We've got some uh, people from out of town that I tried <laughs> to entertain. But, uh, I mean, Eric De La Rosa had a monster game today f- down in, in West Michigan. Got to talk about think, that. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about him before. I think it was on on the minor league uh, podcast where I was kind of comparing him to Jake Robson as a guy who just kind of goes out there and keeps performing. And he's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. There's, It's fun watching him, and he keeps performing. Yeah, we mentioned him when I was down in Lakeland, when I saw him down in Lakeland, and I thought he showed some athleticism. And I, I know Chipman talked about them too a little bit. And he looks like a completely different player. And I was, I think it was Keenan that said that he's just a completely different player than we was at uh, originally at West Michigan. He, he just has been hitting the ball pretty well. He's been, at, at, in terms of cover the outfield there, he's been 
in the ball with power, not just like some light hitting things or just no, no, things, not little flares. He's been hitting it with authority and he's hitting it into all fields. And so, but it, the one thing that's impressed me that has impressed me about De La Rosa too is that kind of like that the speed. I mean, he's always had the speed there, but he's been complementing the speed with doubles and, and triples and what have you. And that's something that, you know, for speedster guys, correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. They always have that, you know, they could beat stuff out, you know, they beat out a single or what have you, and then they can do it with their feet. But he seems like he's doing it with extra base power. Yeah, he seems like a gap power guy to me, like a guy who's going to pepper the gaps. And once the ball gets out there, he's going to run for days. And, and yeah, so the, the cycle today, right? A double, triple, hit the home run to walk off at the end. That's, uh, that's a cool day at the park. I don't care what level you're at. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, you know, in the context of, minor league baseball and you know be, becoming a prospect and all that he, i mean he's 24 years old right 23 or 24 yeah. turned 24 earlier than month, this month yeah yeah so i mean he's an older guy for for the league and all of that but it, nevertheless really cool story and hitting for the cycle is hard to do wherever you go we saw it with riley green what was that yeah. last week where uh people i think he was a single away so he had knocked was, out yeah. you know the hardest parts of of achieving a cycle by like the fourth inning and then he walked twice guy which was that maybe the most impressive thing to me is a guy who's got the cycle he's a single away and he's just gonna take (laughs) two walks it's like all right well that's that's about as mature of an approach as you can get like i don't care about the cycle but uh, no doubt no i I don't know i i and i uh, admittedly haven't been watching west michigan quite as much since torque and dingler left it's it's i mean it's not quite as fun also, sure. they haven't been really bit on TV either. I mean, they've, they've well, yeah, Lake, Lake County is always a bummer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then they're, they're playing a really good Dayton team and they're able to hang in there today. They lost five to three and they won that one in the doubleheader. But you look at the, their offense, it, it has a little bit, they've had to be creative with their offense because they don't, they don't have the power all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And you saw Jose King kind of going a, a funk since those two left and they had the protection. Parker Meadows is back in the lineup. He's bad in cleanup. You know, and so um, one of those things where, like, you know, <laughs> I'm looking at their, their, you know, from the first game, their, their OPS, and they've got four guys over 600 Packer, De La Rosa, Daniel Cabrera, and Ray Rivera. Those are the only four guys. Everybody else is uh, 599 or under from that lineup. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know who might have played in the second game, but yeah, it, it's suddenly, it's crazy. You know, you remove two of the best hitters in the system and, and suddenly the lineup's not so great. <laughs> well, that's what, when Greg was talking about, you know, things being merit-based and eerie with, in, in terms of at-bats and things kind of have to be that way. And you figure a third of the lineup from West Michigan is now in Erie. Like that's yeah. a big chunk of your lineup between Lipsius, between Torkelson and between Dingler. And we didn't get to really talk about the dynamic of Torkelson and moving guys around as far as positionally, even because that's a whole nother kind of variable to, to all of that. But it's, I mean, that's a lot of their, those are probably arguably right. Their three best offensive players that have moved on to, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say greener skies, like um, greener <laughs> pastures probably. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 in terms of, you know, because Green's been there the whole time. But, yeah, the three guys who've, like, you know, moved up. Yeah, that's – I mean, Lipsius was – I don't remember what he was doing in West Michigan, but it was pretty good. Yeah, uh, it was It was exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. it was exactly what he was doing in Erie. It's, it's good defense and kind of uh, making adjustments at the plate. Yeah, yeah. And the ability to kind of uh, change the approach as he has two strikes and make contact. And 
tough at bats. The one, the one thing I'll ask you guys about in terms of for West Michigan, because this applies to this, this question applies to it. You look down at Lakeland. Lakeland has been getting hammered a lot, mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah, rain, the, and not only hammered by, you know, the rain, but also by, I mean, obviously with the rain, but there's also just pitching wise and and offensively. But then there's there's some bright spots. You have Colt Keith. Mm-hmm. And you also have Gage Workman, but the, the I mean, again, we don't really have eyes on it, so I don't really mm-hmm. feel comfortable with kind of saying, oh, who's ready, who's not. But I would think that based off the organization's actions, I'll ask you guys a question. Is there anybody that's going to come up from Lakeland to West Michigan at some point in the next month or so? I mean, I would think with the draft, possibly, and the GCL on the, and now it's called, I'm sorry, the uh, Complex League, which is now, or the, is it Florida Complex League now? It's the FCL. Yeah. That starts tomorrow. Tomorrow and Tuesday, and again, the rosters, I don't know why the hell they're not official, like official, quote-unquote, on their website, but is there going to be any help coming up from Lakeland? The one guy might be coming from West Michigan, honestly, which is like crazy to think about, but yeah. Yeah, the one guy I could see moving up, I guess, would be Workman at some point, but he's kind of like, I don't know if I would mess with him. He's, He's kind of, he's not He's doing okay down there, but he's not tearing it up. It's like a 750 OPS, and he's you know stealing a lot of bases. But and he's young for a college guy, so mm-hmm. I don't know if I would pull him up. But like you said, if the you know the draft adds some bodies, then I could see him moving up. But no, the it, every time I look at the box score, it's like oh my god, the pitching got destroyed again, and it <laughs> and it, it really gives you. I'm looking at 17 to two loss, 16 to two loss, 15 to what was it today? 15 to two it really gives you an idea of, of what happens when you go two consecutive drafts without taking a starting pitcher mm-hmm. in the first 10 rounds. Now they obviously they didn't know in 2019 that, that the 2020 draft would only be five rounds five long. Rounds, yeah. And when they were doing the 2020 draft, like I, I don't really have any quibbles with who they took. It's like, no, no, I, you no. know, I mean, they got a lot of the good players. Like I've said before, like maybe, you know, pitcher instead of Drake Cruz, but whatever. Um, they, you know, they just they, they lack pitching at the lowest levels, and I think you're seeing what happens when that ha- you, you know you're pulling guys out of you know was it minor league free agents and mm-hmm. you know, tw- 25, uh, 25th rounders and stuff like that. It's it's get ugly. Well, and there was an article recently, might have been Baseball America, was talking about kind of scouts that are flooding to indie ball just to find yeah. you know with all of the injuries and things going on, and considered the short the shortened draft last year, it's it's been hard to to find pitching. So I don't think this is even necessarily a Lakeland problem. I think there are other organizations where low yeah. A is struggling mightily. Yeah, uh, Dunedin, for example, was also the, the Blue Jays were also allowing a lot of runs at, at points, and I think yeah. there's. Was there? There's another team, the Brewers. I forgot who's. There's a team that was just like every time I looked at the box, we're down. Was it the Nationals? <laughs> the Nationals team was. Yeah, the, yeah. I don't know if they're in the if they're in this. Are they in the same division, the same uh, league? But yeah, they were the ones that were like outscored by 100 runs in like the first yeah. two weeks. It was yeah, uh, ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and there's the other aspect of people adjusting to the new automated strike zone, right? That that's the way <laughs> Southeast has the new strike zone, I believe. Yep. So I don't know, but. Yeah, I don't know it just it's it's uh, whenever I look at those box scores, I go, Ew. all right. You know, I also see him coming up to his Jimmy Kerr at some point in the next month or two. Okay, West Michigan. That's a good point. Because yeah, Jimmy Kerr, sure. I mean, he's an OPS machine. He's also like you know the Michigan angle, the University of Michigan angle can can be played up a little bit for, and also I mean for another guy who's just been going out there consistently and at least giving some quality at bats as a possible down the line or guy. I mean Kerr. 
just having them close by would be ideal for, you know, for West Michigan from a standpoint. And so, because, I mean, at some point, what are you going to do about Ray Rivera? There's some decisions going to be made about that, too, as well. And so, it, consideration, when does Jimmy Kerr get in there? So, Yeah, I, I was just checking. So, Lakeland has scored the second fewest runs in the low A Southeast and given up the third most runs, which is not, it's not a great mix when you're <laughs> trying to win games. That, yeah, that doesn't lead to wins? Is that what you mean? No. They have the, <laughs> the worst record in the low A Southeast now. It seemed like they were hanging around 500 for a while, and just like this last three weeks have been a disaster. So, uh, one and nine in their last 10 games. All right. And, you know, as far as, as, far as the schedule is concerned, too, I mean, you look at what's going on. It, it, Miguel the Pozo comes up from Toledo. Uh, to to the Tigers and right now, I and mean, we talked about this on Tigers podcast too about the the depth that's gonna be sh- lack of depth. But coming up this week, in a way, you have you have two weeks of the draft, and I think like into the All Star break, and I think most teams are just gonna like kind of try to get to that finish line right now. I mean, it just seems like it's like kind of like the running on fumes, and all all four rosters I think are gonna be affected, and depending on what even happens in the, in the Gulf Coast League too, which is again, who knows? I mean. Yeah, and we could we could speculate who might be on those rosters, but I, I like. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, young Latin pitchers that we haven't like thought about in two years. Like, oh yeah, yeah, remember that random name, Rodolfo Fajardo? What's he been doing? Um, <laughs> but I, I would expect Jose de la Cruz will be there because he's hitting like 100 in Loe, and Adenso Reyes might be there. Probably Alvaro Gonzalez maybe over there. So I, I don't know. There'll be some interesting guys in that on that team, maybe Colt Keith and move over there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, another, another, another team to follow. Another team that we can't watch though, unfortunately. Yeah. That's what, that's what sucks. So, um, but yeah, so stay tuned for that. And again, hopefully we'll get some more, like I said, Erie's playing in Reading or Erie is hosting Reading. Toledo is playing. Who is Toledo playing this week? Right now they're playing the Redbirds. Again? They were. They were. Oh, no, let's oh, see. Next, next week, they are playing Columbus. They're hosting right. Columbus. Lakeland's at Daytona. West Michigan is at Peoria. So there you go. They, yeah, Daytona, Florida, the Cubs affiliate. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah that's a point of the Cubs affiliate. So, uh, but yeah, we'll be back. Probably maybe next week. Depends on what happens. But again, all the C. Storkelson and Dingler had Dingler hit his first double A home run, which was huge. He had a bunch of family down there from Jackson, Ohio that was there. Apparently he had a hell of a week. Yeah, he had a hell of a week. What was his, his week was? I, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't keep track of the numbers, but yeah, he <laughs> did have what, like uh, you know, a pair of doubles that one game, a home run, or a pair of triples. I mean, yeah, like uh, I misspoke by the way. This one is the Reds affiliate. Ah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so they right. have the Tortugas, right, or something like that. They're stacked. Yeah, it'll be an interesting series to watch from from that side. A lot of hitters. So. Got Hendrick over there and Callahan and uh Serta was over there too. And also, I, names. Gripe, I do want to gripe Jake with you that why did they Louisville wait Louisville or Louisville wait <laughs> Hunter Green after the series? Wasn't that yeah. funny? <laughs> as soon as, I remember you saw it. I remember you texted with you. You're like, really? Really? You know, because we because <laughs> remember they had no pitching. The bats had no. zero pitching outside of that one, I think that lefty that throwing like 96, 97, that reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember that guy's name, but either way, um, yeah, we'll be back probably next week or the week after that before the all-star break. Before we get to that, there's going to be some, uh, again, thanks to Greg. Ron. Hold on a second. Let me check. 
Greg Gania? Gania? Gania. Gania. That's all practice. Hey, Greg, how'd you pronounce your name? It, like this. Two seconds later. Anyway, here's Greg Geraldo. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel I feel sorry, Greg, if you listen to all this. Like, I, yeah, it's just it's a failing of mine. And it's not that hard of a name to say. It's just. I don't know. And hopefully, like I said, and I think Chris and I are going to be out at Erie. I don't know what days yet, but, or excuse me. Yeah, we'll be out in Erie, I think, Wednesday or Thursday. I'm not sure yet. Uh, possibly two days because, like I said, right before the podcast, we were talking. The Erie's a brutal trip. And just because it's just, it's just brutal. And, and taking two days out there, taking your time versus rushing back at three o'clock in the morning, which, by the way, Jake's still my hero for driving back. <laughs> um, that was one of those. It was it was a great trip. Don't get me wrong; it was a fantastic trip. Had a fantastic <sighs> time, but that I mean, I don't. I can't drive that late anymore. I'm getting like to the point. I'm going to be forty this year, and so it's like a lot of times I'm like, ah, I got you're a man. You're forty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a man. I'm forty. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> um, but Jay, thanks so much for joining us. And, and yeah. Bo, so we yeah. call this segment Bose Boss Notes. Bose. No, it's uh, yeah. better scouting through design. Is that it? Uh, yeah. it's the research. <laughs> research. Yeah, whatever yeah. it was. <laughs> Exactly. And remember, folks, don't be a boxer warrior. Watch the game. Learn something from the game. All the clips we put up together on the Tiger Battle Report Twitter is just out there for just letting you show what's going on. But I still want to do I still want to do Failure Friday where we just put out clips of guys striking out and making errors. <laughs> but I mean, Nick Bonana, I mean the, the Nick yeah. compilation is still one of the highest viewed uh, things on the oh. YouTube page. So <laughs> and I put the silly font on there for fun. Yeah, that font. <laughs> It's, it's like, yeah. yeah, it looked like something out of a 60s game show. Yeah. So, so anyway. But anyway, no, no problem. And uh, we'll be back, like I said. And thanks again for listening to the Tiger Mining Report podcast here at MotorCityBangles.com. We'll see you next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.